Welcome to The Vinyl Preacher, your weekly podcast where we talk about the Bible and make a playlist. I'm Matt Cato, pastor at St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Los Angeles, California. And I'm Zach Ferris. I'm the pastor of Lutheran Campus Ministry at the University of Colorado. Most importantly, I'm the volunteer coordinator for a group running the concession stand at a football stadium this fall because that has become my life. Volunteer coordination is, oh my gosh, I spent the morning going through our list of members trying to make sure I had everybody set up for worship. It's a big team to pull off outdoor worship, you know, you got to move a lot of stuff. And then my administrator was like, don't forget, there's a football game on Saturday. And I'm like, oh, it's a whole other team of, they didn't, where was that class, Zach? Where was that class? I, I get the emails from the court because there's a coordinator with the with the stadium, with the university, with the athletic department who coordinates the groups, right? And so, like, I get the same emails from them that I send, like, the same voice of emails from them that I send to my people, you know, that's like, <laughs> yeah. hey, I really need your help here. If you could come through, like, this would be great, but I can't tell you what to do because I need to make this sound friendly enough. Right. But, but please, my life is, is difficult and you need to help me. And I want to reply, I hear you. I'm sending an email right after this with the same <laughs> right. same verbiage, and uh, it's going to work just as, as effectively. Oh my gosh, such such a thing! Oh my goodness, uh, Zach. In addition to football season, it's election season. It is Again. election season, Matt. And I want to start. I thought we were done. I want to start, Matt, by with my election news. Because uh, I don't okay. know if you saw it. We've been getting your smoke all summer. Uh, today, I can see <laughs> smoke from California. We send you water, and you send back You're smoke. Welcome. Uh, I think yesterday, you might have been able to see the smoke coming out of Boulder, man. Because mm-hmm. we have elected a new Ralphie. <laughs> Ralphie. That's an election? Six. I, I mean... It's not a democracy here in Colorado in terms of electing bison, Uh, but someone had to make the call and they made the call. They've been training Ralphie Six all summer and they're going to wait till the week of to see how she was doing because always a girl, um, always female. And they decided yesterday Ralphie's going to run tomorrow night in our podcast time uh, at the game and they unveiled her and Ralphie Six met live American bison that runs around the football field right before the game and at halftime is the cutest thing I've seen <laughs> in a very long time. She's only 15 months old. She weighs less than 500 pounds uh, comparatively the Ralphie who they retired. Not because she was getting old and couldn't do it anymore, but because she was getting too enthusiastic about it. Uh, I was like 10 years old and weighed 1,500 pounds. Uh, wow. And so this one's like shorter than the runners and stuff. It is... She's fuzzy. It's very cute, Matt. So things are really, um, we had a really positive election here. Uh, wow. I can only assume that all elections That's so beautiful. Uh, are now going as, as making everybody feel as warm and fuzzy as the election of Ralphie number six. Not here. Not no? here in uh, the beautiful golden state mm. of California, which is currently on fire. I think half the state is on fire. They evacuated like the whole California side of Lake Tahoe. Like, yeah. Just... Insane. It's bad. Uh, as is uh, the other thing that's on fire in a dumpster is our political system. Uh, because we have a recall election. You only need a very small fraction. It's like 5% uh, of people, like just this insanely small number of people to sign uh, a petition to recall your governor. Uh, and normally it's like, impossible for people to do this. They did it once like 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and that's when they Craig liked Davis. the governor. Uh, but, um, but this time the judge, so their folks want to recall uh, Gavin Newsom. 
because uh, they're just mad at him because of COVID and other things, obviously. Uh, there's, even though California is a super blue state, you know, there's like a small percentage is like, you know, 20% or something, which, you know, uh, of just, you know, your typical Trump 90% supporters. 90% of they're here. They're probably not going to win a national. I mean, they haven't won a statewide election in forever, but there's enough of them to make some noise. Uh, and apparently enough to sign enough petitions, especially when the judge gives them an extension. But then this is how the recall election works. This is nuts. This is madness. It's, like it's madness. Uh, so this is like 100 years ago. Governor Hiram Johnson puts this uh, into place because he wanted the people to be able to recall corrupt governors, corrupt elected officials. Sounds we have good. All this direct democracy. Direct democracy sounds great, right? It always oh, sounds what good. What if people just write a proposition? We could just have the people write the proposition, then they could vote on it. That sounds great, doesn't it? It's terrible. It's a terrible system. Like, you, you oh want democracy in moderation. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so here's the thing. If social so media has taught this, us anything. Uh, so here's how this recall election works. Just just want everybody to be, be clear. Uh, you get you got to vote on two things. Uh, the first question on your ballot is, should Governor Gavin Newsom be recalled? Yes or no? You have to vote yes or no. Uh, Gavin needs to get 50% of the people who vote, 50% of those ballots have to say no. If it is 49.9%, he's out. He's out. Then you move to the second question, who should replace him? Uh, first of all, his name can't go on there, so he can't even, he's just, he's a yes or no, and then he's done. And so then there's just a list of people. Um, and the the Democratic Party, right, the, the party in power has to decide how they're going to, how they're going to play this. So 20 years ago, the lieutenant governor got cold. First, they're like, no, we're not going to run anybody. We're just going to treat this election as it's terrible, and we want to keep our governor, so no Democrats are going to be on that replacement ballot. But don't you want a backup option? I mean, it's like a, it's a legit debate, yeah. right? And so 20 years ago, the lieutenant governor freaked out and decided, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on that backup ballot. And then there was like, did he, did he mess it up? I don't, I don't know. So this time, uh, Gavin had enough power, apparently. No Democrats. Uh, mm. There actually is one. He's a he's a he's a real estate influencer. <laughs> but you're not supposed to call him that. You are supposed to always refer to him as a JFK style Democrat. That's that's his official line uh, in there. It's incredible stuff. Incredible stuff. Noted influencer uh, JFK. But then there's all these other people on the ballot. Um, and none of them are polling like super high, but there's a couple that are with like, you know, 15%. So the person that gets the highest number of votes there is your new governor. So they could get like 10% of the vote because everybody else got some minuscule number. And somehow Gavin, despite getting 49.9% of the vote, the dude that got 10% of the vote is your new governor. It makes no oh, sense. Man. It's totally insane. So, um, and it's like an off year, right? Like it'd be one thing if like Gavin lost, but we had this whole like six month election and he just blew it, you know? This is, this is insane. This is an insane way to decide who's gonna lead your state. And all, let me just also say like, hey, maybe there could be like, maybe somebody good could be on that ballot, that'd be fine. No, literally all of the leading candidates have said they're gonna immediately repeal any mask mandates. They're gonna like, suddenly we're Florida or Texas, right? Uh, with our governor. Um, and the governor has like a lot of power during COVID, right? Like even mm -hmm. though it'd be hard for them to pass like real legislation uh, because uh, the legislature is still overwhelmingly democratic, you know, 
the governor has all these emergency powers right now. So it's nuts. It's nuts, Zach. And I'm legit terrified. Everybody says there's plenty of Democrats in California, so we should be fine. But everyone is also, like, terrified. So... I'm terrified for you. I listened to a, a podcast about it, and it was thoroughly confusing as to, like, I was just glad that at the end of it, I didn't have to vote because they were trying to explain, like, what, because you're not supposed, like, if you want to not recall Gavin, you're, like, not supposed to write in anything. Yeah, that's or, their current strategy. So there's, like, debate, too. Like, if you're, okay, that was the party strategy. What's our strategy supposed to be? Are we supposed to not vote? But then some people are arguing, no, you should vote for this person. It's insane. It's like it's so we, we We had an issue. I, uh, my firsthand experience reflection here is we tried to repeal slavery uh, in the state constitution in Colorado a while back. You may remember from an episode of Pod Bless America with Peter Severson. Uh, and the language is really convoluted, so you needed to vote yes to repeal slavery or something. You needed to vote yes on slavery. And so it did not pass because we couldn't put a ballot measure together that made sense. Um, it has since uh, been repealed. Uh, you, you typically want to say no to slavery, but... Right, yeah. That's a, oh. it's always a good idea. Unless you're uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul. But, um, <laughs> yeah. All right, I got to hit pause for a second because I, I have a security guy outside that needs to yeah. get in. Give me five you seconds. Gonna, we'll give a, a note to so-and-so. Should I? Is that the thing to do? You can press pause. So anyway, this uh, election is going to be great. We're feeling really great about it. Um, I mean, to be clear, mm -hmm. uh, nobody's really thrilled with Gavin. Even even Democrats, not super. They, a year ago, he was a superhero, uh, and now like he uh, he the biggest thing he did. Uh, probably everybody in the world has heard about it, but he had all these bans on no eating in restaurants. You got to be masked indoors all the time. And then he was caught eating at the French Laundry, which is an amazing name for a really expensive restaurant uh, with some fundraisers. <laughs> for a scandalous so, restaurant, like, yeah. Just, to, just you do that to yourself, man. You just shot yourself in the foot. It's terrible. Mm -hmm. But again, he's... Yeah. I mean, the good news, right? There's an election, governor's election in next fall. Yeah, I mean, right? that's the other like, thing, right? Like, what? So this whole recall election, too, <laughs> is going to cost the state, like, $10 million. Like, just wait a year and put the $10 million into something useful i don't small government proponents of course the recall yes. right yeah well at least we definitely know nothing's going to happen to die yeah so that's yeah why did you even bring that up zach that's the other thing that's the other insane <laughs> thing so let's say something happens to die in five like oh it's just a year right so we got another it's fine we'll just elect another democrat in a year it'll be fine well if anything happens to our senator from california who's like 300 years old uh in the next year this Republican governor could appoint a Republican. That means not not only does California have a terrible representative for a year, uh, the Democrats lose control of the Senate, which is just like because of this stupid recall election. It's so bad, Zach. It's so bad. Probably none of these things are going to happen, but they're all in play. They're like legitimately in play. Is there a is there a five thirty eight uh, forecast on it? Like, is it as likely as it raining in Los Angeles? It's, no, it's like, I think it's like lean Democrat is what they said. So they talked it through. There was a whole episode about it. Uh, like, I mean, the problem is that's a recall. They're like, there's plenty, there's so many more Democrats in California. So like, if everybody votes, Gavin should be fine. The problem is that like, the people that hate him are much more fired up. And Democrats are like, kind of lukewarm on him. So it's like a get out the vote challenge for Democrats. And it's like an off year. It's not like it's like everybody's geared up to like the president. It's like, so... We think that he's just going to be 
can't stay in office, but it's in play, you know? Like, it's legitimately in play. <laughs> so anyway, I'm glad we spent uh, half an hour talking about that, but it's, uh, you know. You got it, You got to cover the important things. That's what's, that's what's happening. Speaking of important things, Matt, I did feel, I don't, I don't think I told you this story last week when we really talked about tabling. Uh, and immediately after we recorded, I regretted that I didn't tell you the story because I thought you would appreciate it. Uh, did a lot of tabling, and um, the folks in the athletics department, student athletes, are really easy to identify because they mostly just wear their Nike-issued team apparel all the time. And they wear, uh, like, the slides, the Nike team slides, like, in, with socks. They're always wearing wearing those. Uh, and uh, a basketball player, a recognizable one I knew, who's, who's really pretty good, came by our table and was looking at stuff. Uh, and... I'm never, never under any illusions that like someone from the athletic department, like a a basketball player, is gonna like come to our stuff because they're so overscheduled and stuff. They don't like. It's a very unreasonable expectation that they would be involved with any <laughs> student group, because when in the world would they do that? Uh, so I'm here to have fun, and so I noticed he's wearing these like weird looking like slipper shoes. And I'm like, wow, those are what are those shoes? Those are so cool. They're like the coolest Crocs I've ever seen. And he said, uh, oh, these, they're, uh, they're Yeezys. <laughs> I called his $500 Yeezys the coolest Crocs I've ever seen. That's, can we get a meme with that? It's like a picture of the, the Yeezys and the, just a quote, the coolest Crocs mm-hmm. I've ever seen. I didn't know they had Yeezys that were like Croc Yeezys, but they do. Crocs have made a comeback lately. It's just, it's like QR codes. QR codes and Crocs. Who thought that was going to be the new normal Mm post-pandemic? Put a QR code, (laughs) put a QR Crocs? Is that where we're headed? Out of Boulder, not on its own. Really? Crocs. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Amazing stuff. That's what you come to this podcast for. You're trying to prepare your sermon. You need some exegesis, uh, and you come here because you want to hear our amazing analysis of the world. (laughs) Oh, gosh. I do think, Matt, like this isn't the week for it. Maybe next week we'll talk about it more. I've got some thoughts. Uh, Because I don't know if you've noticed the state of the world Mm -hmm. is not like awesome right now. Um, And uh, somebody somewhere posted on social media in a in a um, admirable way, in an admiring tone, the the Bart quote about preaching with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. I just want to um, point out when you said Bart, I which, I really thought you were going to say Bart Simpson. It was well, going to be like a Simpson meme, but you meant Carl Bart, the theologian, because Barth. this is a theological podcast. Continue. Yeah, 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 yeah. That guy. Uh, you know, and generally I agree with the sentiment of that, right? Like it's good to. <laughs> Your, your theology, your Bible stuff should be grounded in current events and stuff. But in a time and place in which, like, it's just overwhelming, like, how bad everything is. Um, and not that you shouldn't preach about, like, bad, sad things. But I, I feel like I've, I've since done a little research into the quote, and it's not, it's not a quote. It's a uh, he did kind of say it in a Time Magazine interview when he retired. And he has more nuance to it, which I appreciate. But I, I wonder, this day and age, like, how do you... That gives too much power to news editors. 
Um, <laughs> right? Like, so I have to preach whatever the whatever CNN's running with right now because I I would edit and run CNN in a very different way, and I wonder what is actually helpful guidance uh, advice for preachers to like. Because you've got to do that work yourself. I mean, it's never been more clear, right, that there's not, like, you've got to do the um, editorial, like, trying to figure out what your priorities are in the in the metaphorical newspaper here. Because um, I don't know that you can, you got too mm-hmm. much news anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's something missing from that equation, right, which is that... Um, you're all, you also have to preach with your your own people's hearts uh, in one hand, a third hand, the other hand. Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I guess I'm like, yeah, I'm not ignoring like the broader context. Of course, I mean, I just talked for uh, ad nauseum about our recall election in California, but I'm also aware of like. Um, you know, the person in my congregation that is uh, going to school and just got exposed to COVID or this person whose aunt is in hospice and all of those folks are also in my heart and mind, not exclude, not separately from the things going on in the news, but like, I feel like it's the crucial third piece um, because that's the thing that like, you have to figure out like how those three things fit together. I mean, that's true for your context too, right? Like you're, you present this particular community of people who is living in the midst of all this stuff. But if you take those people out of it, then I feel like you really are just doing like a, it's so much easier to just, I don't know, end up in the opinion piece. Um, I, and I just, I, I mean, maybe that just sounds mm-hmm. obvious, but I feel like if you're connected to uh, human, actual human beings <laughs> in the world, uh, you're, you're also much more well, likely to preach effective theology too, like because you're. I just I think that's where God resides. Like I think that's where God like shows up, Christ in the midst of people. And so like, I, I just think you're much more likely to get to some theological depth if you're actually talking to humans and not just reading the newspaper. I'm not saying don't read the newspaper. I'm saying like, read the newspaper and talk to humans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I'm, it's um, a, a writing piece I've written in my head on several runs now. Um, and then I can never remember at the end what I, the brilliant idea that I was convinced of in the middle of the run. Because uh, I'm tired, I just want to take a nap. But uh, the conclusion, like, again, I, I would, my input, where I would hope to steer it is more towards, or my frustration with it, with the, the totality of, the news um, is outcomes and I wonder that uh, I guess that's a part of how I would edit the newspaper to preach on or if we're sincere about wanting to create change in the world um, focusing on the news the metaphorical news um with an eye towards like outcomes that we can help shape and change and, and make more just versus like, I guess I was just weary of mm-hmm. the Afghanistan stuff, um, which, you know, was in the news and big and important, but also, you know, we did stuff for it locally in, in worship, but also so big and unmovable yeah. and yeah, it's, it was, I mean, it's really, it's really horrible and painful. And I mean, that's part of what the whole 
frustration is, right? Is that we feel like we can't do anything about this. Even even when we were in the country for 20 years, we couldn't seem to do anything. <laughs> you know, like it's this, it's just mm-hmm. this sense of of futility. And, and maybe some of that is, is good to have some humility um, that we can't actually fix the world. But it also is just really painful because there are very real consequences. I did appreciate the shift that some folks made to say, uh, okay, so now we have to get ready to re- welcome refugees. And that's something that's much closer to home. Um, and there are refugees in most mm-hmm. places in America. So that'd be really, you know, um, and that, that's, a, that's maybe a way to pivot. Um, you got you to gotta figure out how to... <sighs> how to bite off a chunk of it because it because the whole world is too big <laughs> too big mm. <laughs> agreed that's why you come here big thoughtful insights the world is Although big I think, like that I think this is going to intersect with the text today Zach I think it is I think it is oh yeah uh, I hope we come I up with something good uh, because if all goes according to plan I usually don't <laughs> hope we come up with anything good because I don't want to give any preachers any I mean, advantage over me but I hope so, because uh, I've got to preach on this text uh, on this Sunday with uh, possibly ELCA presenting Bishop Elizabeth Eaton in the congregation. So I'm hoping it's good. I hope we, we figure it out. I mean, if you write the right sermon, you're going to forever alter the course of the history of the Evangelical Lutheran right. Church in America. Yeah. That's the turning point. That was it. If you can't get Elizabeth Eaton to cry, <laughs> then that you, you failed. Ky- that should be your goal. Kairos moment. Oh my gosh! Well, we'll see what happens. The biggest, this is my biggest problem, Zach, with uh, with presiding Bishop Eaton uh, coming in life is that uh, mm-hmm. you have been referring to her on this podcast for so long as Easy E, uh, Easy E, uh, who was a, a a rapper who came up out of South Central Los Angeles, straight out of Compton. Um, yeah. And so I'm just really trying to have, exercise some self-control and not refer to her as Easy E in the midst of worship. Just it keeps coming every time I think about that Sunday. I go Easy E is coming, and I just hope I don't say it out loud. So that's where I'm at, Zach. It's all your fault. Um, there, there are benefits to ostracization <laughs> in the church. You know, I'm never going to have that problem. It'll be good. Oh well, let's let's dive in. You want to do the gospel, or do you want to go? Uh, you got some stuff on. I don't know, Matt. I don't really have anything <laughs> on the other stuff. Uh, really, you know, this regular, ordinary time uh, in year B, I guess it is, year, is pretty, starts off with such a bang with like, we're doing kings and these dramatic stories, and they really like jump along real quick. And then we get to like now, and it's these just these like proverbs and wisdom oh, yeah. text, and it's just like, oh. You know, if you feel like reading this, yeah, it's like they run out of steam in the fall. I don't, I don't get it. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Uh, let's just go to the gospel, then, Matt. Uh, I don't have anything super. I think I can bounce back a little bit. Uh, you know, I do like the wisdom cries out. I guess we're going into the proverbs. Uh, wisdom cries out in the streets, in the squares. She raises her voice. Uh, so there's your your newspaper and Bible in one hand. At the busiest corner, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. Is that what you think in your head, Matt, when you're on the corner out there uh, of uh, uh, Vermont? 36th place. uh, 36th place across from the gates of the University of Southern California. That's what I think. That's pretty much the description Mm -hmm. of my life. Yeah, no. So that's good. That's a part that I would look to connect to I have connected to it in my uh, 
song selection for the week in the playlist. Nice. But let's get to the gospel, man. Or unless you have thoughts. <laughs> let's, uh, let's do it. Jesus, moving along, went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi. Uh, important location here. Uh, notice those words, Caesar, uh, Herod, uh, Philip, this is a, this is a, like, this is a sellout town. This is a town that's got some, some Roman influence. Uh, and so he's, he's in, uh, enemy territory, uh, so to speak. And on the way, on the way, he asked his disciples, notice that word on the way. We love it. There's a road trip. Uh, and of course on the way, uh, critical phrase in Mark, uh, and in Christianity, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am i am what you ever read the old testament oh call back right there call back and they answered him john the baptist uh and other people say elijah and still others one of the prophets this is a favorite thing uh for pastors you know people are saying like some people are saying this and other people are saying this uh people are saying and he asked them who do you say that I am. How about you, though? What, what do you think? This, which is your response uh, when people say that. Well, what do you, th- how about you? What do you think? And Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. Hopefully we did not hear that uh, particular response. But Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. So he just like to take some twists and turns. You think they're just having this back and forth and she's going to tell them right or wrong. But rather than telling him right or wrong, he just sternly orders them not to tell anyone about him. And then he began to teach them that the Son of Man, uh, also translated as the human one, must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said all this quite openly. And so Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan! For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And then he calls to the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone had become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man, or the human one, will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Good news, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, this is a classic one, though, Matt. This is a classic. It's a classic. A lot of classic lines just in the one, in the one text. Yeah. Greatest hits. Who do you say that I am? Mm-hmm. Get behind me, Satan. Take up your cross and follow me. Pray. Pray. Uh, lose your life and save it. Save your life and lose it. Bang. Plenty here to preach on, Matt. I am going to make, take the stand that I, I feel like I've historically taken on this text. Uh, and informed pretty significantly by Robin Molina and their social science commentary on the Gospels. Uh, and that's to say that when Jesus asks, who do people say that I am? Often we hear the modern reader, the postmodern reader, uh, reads it and hears, um, 
reads into it the idea that Jesus is playing some, some sort of test of the disciples. Do you have the right answer? Um, or like, what do people, like, this is all a game that he's playing and he knows the answer to it. Um, what Robo Molina say is that, that in the ancient Near East, there's identity was not personal um, in, in the way that we experience identity uh, and that the individual gets plays an, uh, a very large role in determining their own identity, but that in the ancient Near East, the community determined everyone's identity. Um, and so Jesus doesn't necessarily know who he is because he doesn't necessarily know what other people, who other people say he is, because who other people say you are matters, and that determines who you are hmm. in, in the ancient Near East. Um, and that is like gets us into some some interesting places and into some trouble for Jesus because who you were was determined the most important aspects of who you were was determined by the 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 circumstances of your birth right the answer should have been you are Jesus of Nazareth uh, son of of Mary uh, but that's not what people are saying people are saying that you are John the Baptist, that you're Elijah. Other people are giving you honor, which is how you could get it, right? Um, and so your honor was typically set when you were born. And if you were born in an honorable place, the son of an honorable person, you would receive their honor. But here Jesus uh, is getting honor that is unexpected. And so they also, two, two ancient Near Eastern ideas, you had collectivist identity, so really who Jesus was, he couldn't just decide who he was. It had depended on everybody um, deciding on who he was. But then two, we've talked before about their understanding of the economy and that they had a limited goods economy and that you couldn't create wealth. And so anyone who's taking more than their fair share uh, in their minds is taking it off of the plate of someone else because there was only so much to go around. And so that applied to honor as well. So Jesus is getting honor outside of the usual systems of, of gaining honor. Uh, it's not being bequested by someone with more honor. Just the people are giving it to him. And the idea here is that the expectation for, among honorable people is if Jesus is getting all this honor, then he's taking it away from somebody. Um, and so that's sternly ordered not to tell anyone about him, uh, to tell them about this honorable man they're following around is a way to protect everybody. Uh, you're going to get in trouble. Uh, as spoilers is going to happen for Jesus. Um, so sincerity there in these questions that we, we sometimes read as rhetorical. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And like we were talking earlier about the, the news, the broader context, uh, and some of that like broader political context shows up here too, from from Caesar of Philippi to like Messiah, which is this like politically charged term uh, that Peter is is giving him, um, and then Peter begins to twist, or not Peter, but Jesus uh, flips that political term. Um, and talks about suffering that's going to happen. Mark, it's so interesting how many names. I think we talked about this three years ago because I have notes on it. Uh, that there's, who do people say that I am? John the Baptist, Elijah, the Messiah, and then the narrator, Mark, drops this human one, son of man, in there. The narrator does it. Yeah. <laughs> no one like in the story. Uh, he makes this shift. Um, and then Jesus says it at the end. It goes into Jesus' mouth, son of man, this human one. Um, 
And Ched Myers, uh, commentator in Binding the Strongman, he he says this is a reference to Daniel, uh, that vision of Daniel, this this reference to the human one, uh, or the Son of Man, Daniel seven thirteen, this apocalyptic vision uh, that has to do with the powers that be, um, and I wonder like it's not the political vision that we think Jesus isn't running for office uh, if he were living in today's day he's also not going to uh, lead a militia to take over to take over Rome but but I think there is this sense that like there's a misunderstanding that happens or, or maybe not even a com- misunderstanding but like they're not seeing the full picture uh, and Jesus I think makes this move to say that it's this is about I mean anytime I see that word apocalypse uh, it's a bigger there's a bigger thing at work here there's a bigger vision um, and I think there's this sense that like this is this is about everything this is gonna affect everything it's bigger uh, than you think you know and we we would hear this idea of like collectivist identity as a offensive very often that it is um, taking away your power and autonomy um, to decide for yourself who you are uh, you know the things that, that we tell our children right? you can uh, you can do whatever you want when you grow up you can be anything you can be the president all that kind of stuff um, is a part of the trying to imbue people with the idea that the individual has that has that much power of themselves um, but the reality of even just telling that to our children right, is a way of, of forming collectivist identity because it is, is trying to, um, or not trying to, it's, it's a way of the community naming who you are. You are a person full of potential and power. Uh, and a way to preach it perhaps might be to wrap around some of the baptismal stuff, right? Um, and to claim that power that the church and the community has uh, to name uh, the children of God. Uh, Megan, who's our program coordinator here at Luther Campus Ministry and at our, I like to call her our artist in residence. She is an artist. She created this really cool piece of string art that if you stand at it from the right angle, uh, you will have rays of multicolored strings shooting out from your head like a halo in uh, icon, uh, like a, as in a, a Christian icon sort of a deal. Uh, and we've used that for part of our, our tabling, our continued tabling recently, uh, with the idea of trying to invite students to take like selfies in front of it so they can have a halo. Uh, but part of that is the, the positive-ish part of it is to say, is an opportunity to say to students, right, that you are made in the image of God, that you are loved, to, to do some of that collectivist identity, uh, because that can happen, I think, in a really positive way. Um, and that's a power the church needs to claim. Amen. Amen, Zach. You know it. I got one more uh messing up with this text for folks uh we normally read this in like in a really like emo e minor chord sort of way uh whoever wants to become my followers let them deny themselves take up their cross and follow me um uh you know which is always a good comeback to to uh, a personal theology you don't like you're like um that sure doesn't sound like it fits squares very well with this idea uh that's super dramatic and you gotta be ready to die if Jesus doesn't ask you to die, then it's not true. Um, but here's a fun thing. I don't know that Jesus has been that emo. Uh, Jesus, as a part of his like re-identity, his identity reformation, it's, he's formed this new family with these followers. And a fact of life, 
uh, of family life in the ancient Near East is that uh, you, uh, you had to be ready to rock with your family. Um, eye for an eye is in the Bible because Hatfield-McCoy uh, feuds were destroying society. Uh, and that's a part of what Je- that's a real social ill that Jesus is trying to address by widening and broadening the scope of who might be your family. And yet um, it's set within this social con- uh, context in which you got to like, it was just the expectations that you would die for your family, like you would die for family. You would kill for family, you would die for family. That's the level of commitment you had to the family because there's no other support system for you. No one else had any social responsibility for your well-being. And Jesus is not, is the way I would read it that fits with my understanding of the gospel, uh, is that Jesus is saying like this new family that we're forming is not like a like family light. Uh, this is just as real, and the bo- the ties that bind us are just as real as, um, as what you know as family. This isn't a substitute. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so interesting to think about that in the context of twenty first century church mm-hmm. <laughs> or twenty first century campus ministry. Maybe there's maybe you can. I mean, like, so three two examples. Um, just two like just stories. Uh, so, um, you know, we've had this model in congregational ministry of like membership, which feels very like Elks Club or something of the early 20th century. Like, I wonder, I, I would really love somebody to do like a historical study of like, how do we think about these things 200 years ago, 300 years ago? Like, yeah. where did this like membership model come about like i'm just i'm curious about it but it is our like constitutional model so most of the time i feel like i have to figure out some way to work with it somehow uh so there's there's one model that doesn't sound very like family-ish it sounds more like a club like costco then uh i had somebody come in looking for a, a baptism recently uh and they they weren't uh super i mean I, I think they just wanted me to like give a, a one-time blessing, right? And, and use an officiant of the catechumen at like, we've been around and around on this thing. But, but this time around, like, I, I just tried to start thinking into like, what's the, what's the theology that this person holds? Like, what's the spirituality? Like, what's, what's the way that, what's the ecclesiology <laughs> that this mm-hmm. person already holds right now? Um, and it must be some kind of like, priestly ecclesiology where like you're going to come to me as a priest and I'll give you like the blessing that you need mm-hmm. and then you're going to go back home and you'll come back to me if you need another like blessing like that right like that's a legitimate way to think about religion I mean certainly there have been religions like that right this like kind of I mean it's like it's not, it feels priestly to me right like that's like what it feels like but it doesn't feel like family you know? <laughs> like it doesn't feel like the formation of a new family. So I just, I wonder like what kinds of, um, what kinds of practices might help us think about that sense of belonging, uh, in a different way. And, and if those are the kinds of practices we're gonna have to continue to develop, uh, in this new century, random thoughts. I like, podcast. I like it. I like it. Less uh, serious and intense than your uh, reflections on, on new visions of family, Matt. I'm reminded of one of my favorite sounds right now on TikTok. <laughs> that uh, is, uh, I don't know if you've heard this before, but I love it. And all the versions of it are pretty good. Uh, where you hear somebody's voice and they're like, um, 
you are freaking African Americans plus Mark, but Mark rocks with us. And like the original, when they they show all these, you know, this 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 one white guy, this like black family, and and that's a part of what Jesus is doing here, right? Like he's like breaking open these family systems, but also like it's an invitation into a deep commitment to one another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about what that what that invitation looks like this fall. So hopefully these texts help us to. Uh, if you want to do a little further reading on this subject as to what reimagined family looks like, might I invite you to watch a little film called uh, Fast and Furious? <laughs> the Gospel According to Vin Diesel. I've never seen any of those. Are you serious? I've never seen any of them. None of them. Wow. <laughs> Not a single one. I probably <laughs> actually haven't seen anything since. I think I saw Fast Five. Fast Five. What was the recent one? F9? F9. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Which doesn't include the Fast and Furious uh, saga presents Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> That's right. It doesn't include that. That's true. Because That's true. Vin Diesel, while he's all about family, uh, has it in his contract that he will not appear on set with uh, The Rock. <laughs> what? Is it real? For real. It's incredible. They have such beef. It's because Vin Diesel's like 5'4". And The Rock is huge. <laughs> Incredible stuff. Incredible. Well, uh, hopefully, I got something to pre- preach on for Easy e If you don't preach on to Easy e you should say, Oh, Matt, we are African-Americans. Plus Bishop Beaton. Bishop <laughs> rocks with us. Also me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I guess you do. Yeah. You figure that out. Um, Matt, speaking of the music, uh, some other big news. I've uh, Phoebe Bridgers uh, listened yeah. to the podcast, I can assume. She's, she's going to play at your house? Well, she released her, her concert, her... Her... Uh, her uh, what am I... I think, why can I think of the word for a series of concerts her, that you play? Uh, Tour. There you tour? go. Tour schedule. Uh, came out with like a big statement. She's only going to play outdoor venues because of COVID and stuff. And she completely, this tour completely skips over the Mountain West. Uh, so I was bummed, bummed about that. But I thought, hey, she released this new statement that said only outdoor venues. And I thought to myself, hey, I've got a pergola. I've got a sloped backyard. We can easily accommodate 25 socially distant people. So I reached out on Twitter to Phoebe Bridgers uh, and said, hey, let me know. I've got a great venue. I've got a beer fridge in the garage and a small grill. I feel like concessions are covered. Uh, I do, full disclosure, I have a five-year-old, so show does need to wrap by 8.30. Uh, But other than that, my neighbors are pretty chill. Um, We're right under the flight path of Rocky Mountain Regional Airport, uh, which says to me we've got the infrastructure to handle out-of-town guests. I, uh, you know... There is an Airbnb, like, in the neighborhood, one of the houses in Airbnb. I'm sure she could crash there. But I did. I wanted to be up front. I don't want to be a duplicitous concert person, you know, promoter. Uh, our local Outback Steakhouse did close during the pandemic. So Ooh. there are some bummer. There are some downsides. So still waiting to hear back. I did some Photoshop. Uh, we put her on the pergola. Some people had some questions online. So uh, can only expect that very shortly we'll be scheduling a backyard barbecue with Phoebe Bridgers, Grammy-nominated Phoebe Bridgers. Can you imagine if that actually happened? 
<laughs> oh my god! Can I, I imagine? It's a pretty good every pitch. Day. It's a pretty good pitch. I think I mean, it's a pretty be fun. We get good video. Oh, you get she get so much press for it. Like that'd be great, right? <laughs> Phoebe Bridgers appears on amateur podcast host back porch. <laughs> All charity. She'd have so. to come on the podcast too, right? Is that I part mean, of the package? I mean, want to promote it. <laughs> You don't just like, <laughs> even if for Phoebe Bridgers, you got to do some press, you know? Uh, she did right. recently guest on Comedy Bang Bang, uh, and I really enjoyed that a lot. <laughs> so, if she can do Comedy Bang Bang, she can do The Vinyl Preacher. Though she was Amazing. asked about her uh, religious identity on the podcast, and uh, it might take some work to get her on, the, on this podcast. Um, <laughs> with that, Matt... Uh, I am jamming right now to some Phoebe. Uh, my guitar game has really gone to the next level. I played at church the other day. I hadn't played like in worship in a long time. So not on guitar in like a hundred million years. So that was really fun. But I've been playing Scott Street a lot, which is a, a nice one. Uh, not too difficult to play. Uh, and I'm going to put it on the playlist this week because of that Proverbs text. Wisdom cries out, walking down Scott Street. Uh, open heart, open container. Oh, feeling like a stranger. Uh, it's an excellent song off of her uh, debut album. Uh, check it out. Phoebe Bridgers, Scott Street. Um, and with all these questions, Matt, all these questions about Jesus' identity, um, I hear in the refrain that Jesus is asking, I hear the voice of a friend of the podcast, friend of Scrubs, I hear Colin Hay, lead singer of Minute Work. Who can it be now? Who can it be now? Is uh, is playing in the background there? Yes, during the gospel. And finally, with all this honor shame stuff going on, uh, Lay Street Dives got a new song on their new album called "Shame, Shame, Shame." It's a good one. Nice, good, good. You didn't want to put anything from uh, Kanye West's Donda album? I, I I started listening to it to prepare for the podcast and. <laughs> Have not made I it that not. far. Have you listened to it at all? No, not at all. I've only seen half-baked social media reviews, and I've heard both things. I've heard that it's terrible, and I've heard that there are some really good songs on there. So, good to know. Yeah. Well, what have I got here? Um, we had our first uh, adult Bible study here at St. Mark's for the fall semester last night, and I played. We read we read uh, Genesis two, and then I played Beyonce's "Bigger" from The Lion King and mm. "Black Is King." Uh, nobody in the Bible study had ever heard of the song, but everyone loved it. It was great. Worked really well. I felt super cool because I used Beyonce in my Bible study. Uh, Beyonce's "Bigger," you're part of something way bigger. It's a really good song. I like it. Uh, and then uh, another album. We I talked about the albums I listened to this summer. John Mayer, The Killers. Uh, another one I listened to a lot this summer, Bleachers. Mm. Bleachers. Remember you put up that uh, Chinatown single with Bruce Springsteen? Bruce, yeah. This, uh, uh, and, and there's a line in that song that uh, says, take the sadness out of Saturday night, and that is the title of the album All right. uh, that song appears on. Uh, but it's a good it's a good little album. Uh, Stop Making This Hurt is the song I'll put on. It's a, it's, it sounds like a sad song, It's like a very, but it's very poppy. It's, it's like a sing-along chorus. Uh, so Bleachers... Stop making this hurt, which might be what the disciples say 
to Jesus in response to this diatribe. And then finally, a new podcast I discovered uh, from The Ringer, 60 Songs That Explain the 90s, uh, which is just pure guilty pleasure for me. Uh, This guy talking about amazing songs from the 90s. Uh, And an episode I listened to recently was all about Coolio's Gangsta's Paradise. I learned more about Coolio than I ever Is he still alive? Before. He is still alive, and apparently he's like a super interesting dude. So uh, I kind of wish Busta Rhymes like resurgence in the past could happen to Coolio. Yeah, they they talked about him in the context of like pop adjacent rap or rap adjacent pop. There's a whole like it's just fascinating, Uh, and then it it took some turns into Dangerous Minds uh, and like the problematic nature of this movie that the song was from. Yeah, (laughs) although apparently the song was almost in Bad Boys. Interesting. They were like that would have been so much better because that movie has aged a lot better than Mm -hmm. Dangerous Minds. But uh, and then of course a little side trip into Weird Al Yankovic. uh, that, Amish that Paradise, remains which a, also, a point like, of contention, right? Well, no, it doesn't remain. It was a point of okay. contention. And then apparently later, Coolio said, yeah, when he, like, that was the dumbest thing he ever did. He's like, that song is great. Like, he's, 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 oh, they've he's reconciled, reconciled, apparently. Because I believe, like, reconciled. the thing, right, is that Weird Al does not actually legally require people to sign off on his parodies, but he's made it his own personal policy to get people to do it. And there was a misunderstanding. Yeah, he had gotten permission from the label, but had not talked to Coolio personally, and so then he felt really bad. But it's kind of amazing because I think I know Amish Paradise as well as mm-hmm. Gangsta's Paradise because it, it that was such a culture it was such a cultural moment, which is why you listen to a podcast that makes you nostalgic for your teenage years. That's what I got for this uh, week's playlist. There then. is a TikTok I've seen where uh, someone's at like a, a rest stop or like an, a business in an Amish area. <laughs> and they have a TV, and he's able to like hack onto to it through AirPlay and plays the video for Amish Paradise. <laughs> the the interesting, the most interesting line in this podcast episode was, so this song Gangsters, it was like the biggest song of the year, actually, like according to like charts and all that kind of stuff. Like it was a huge song. Like I mean, it was right sixth grade, which which means it was also popular in uh, suburban markets. Yeah. Uh, you know. And so, so this guy theorized that like Gangsta's Paradise, like this, the context of Gangsta's Paradise and Amish Paradise were equally distant from like many of the people that listened to both songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, like different that ends of sense. the like cultural spectrum, which is just really fascinating. Yeah. So I've been thinking about that all week. Anyway. On that note. Good app, Zach. Good app. Good app. It's been real. Real vinyl. <laughs>